The assumption that our generation knows better is replete with problems. Advances in technology, science, social sciences, medicine, and other fields are used to support that idea, but many within these scientific fields continue to have faith in the literal message of the Bible. We should raise some concerns about a simplistic broad brush assumption that moderns know better. Find out in this episode of the Thinking Faithfully podcast whether the Bible can in fact be understood today. Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Faithfully podcast. I'm your host, Terry Nesu, and I'm glad you've joined me in having conversations that matter. Welcome to episode three of the Thinking Faithfully podcast. It would be amiss for me to begin the podcast without apologizing for the several months that I've gone without recording or publishing, and I do apologize for that. I am honestly without excuse. It was literally down to procrastination, and that really got the better of me. But I would also like to thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast in my absence and for holding me accountable and asking me when I'm going to release episode three. That's really been a good push for me. And I'm glad to say that today we get cracking. So without further ado, here we go. I want to begin by telling you a short story about Mavis. Mavis loved the Bible. She carried it wherever she went. And would at times just burst into song when the Bible reminded of her reminded her of her church hymn. She had her first child at fifteen and worked incredibly hard to support her eventual five children at the expense of her own academic advancement. She was not a science guru, philosophy major, or an expert in hermeneutics, but she loved the Lord. Mavis was my grandmother and arguably the best illustration of Christian living I have known personally. Gogo, as I called her, was emblematic of sincerity. She was honest in her dealings, loving in her approach, and true in her reliance on God. In all my grandmother's humility, and never having studied the matters I aim to study on this podcast, in her own special and unique way, she understood the Bible. In times both past and present, millions of people the world over accept the Bible to be true, as my grandmother did, and live for the glory of God based off their understanding of it. This, however, doesn't mean that these people weren't often under some kind of theological instruction. Indeed, there's often a local church that is a minister or pastor responsible for the shepherding of the flock. How these ministers come to an interpretation that they share with their congregations, and how indeed anyone who reads the Bible comes to an interpretation of it, knowingly or unknowingly, is through a process called hermeneutics. That's really a fancy way of saying the science and art of interpretation. And for biblical hermeneutics, we're therefore considering written texts. In chapter 3, entitled Hermeneutics, in a book I strongly recommend anyone thinking of taking the Bible seriously to read, 
called Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul. He begins by saying, Many of the modern controversies surrounding the Bible, for example, human sexuality, creationism, and the openness of God, revolve around questions concerning hermeneutics. The science of hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. In Greek mythology, the god Hermes was the messenger of the gods. It was his task to interpret the will of the gods. Hence, hermeneutics deals with conveying a message that can be understood. He goes on to say, The purpose of hermeneutics is to establish guidelines and rules for interpretation. It is a well-developed science that it can become technical and complex. Any written document is subject to misinterpretation, and thus we have developed rules to safeguard us from such misunderstanding. I hope this therefore gives you a fair overview of the heart of the matter. For this subject, that of understanding the Bible, my primary point of reference whom I'll allude to in much of the chat is Richard R. Melek Jr., who is a professor of New Testament studies and has written and taught extensively on the proper teaching of the Bible. But before we proceed, we must acknowledge the importance of the Holy Spirit in the authoring of the Bible. Yes, the Bible has entered into the world of literature and begs to be considered within that realm. Absolutely. Nevertheless, no one can adequately explain the continuing popularity and relevance of the Bible apart from the role of the Holy Spirit. Even conservative Bible scholars have consistently affirmed that principle as a guiding factor in their work. We did touch on this in episode 1, so feel free to revisit it if you don't recall. Now, why do people think that the Bible can't be understood? The general answer is historical skepticism. What is skepticism about the Bible particularly? Or more broadly, how can modern readers understand texts from centuries ago? That's the essence of historical skepticism. But the argument is really about the Bible because no one questions the understandability of Suetonius's Lives of the Caesars, which is a collection of biographies of Roman emperors all the way from Julius Caesar. It's estimated to have been written in 121 AD, which for interest's sake is within only 50 years of conservative datings of most of the New Testament, but undoubtedly, unequivocally, incontrovertibly less than 100 years from the writing of Lies of the Caesars because the, the New Testament canon was written after Christ's death, which is between AD 30 and 36. I stress this point so much because the Bible is like Lives of the Caesars, a history. But somehow, when it comes to the Bible, skepticism creeps in. Why the duplicity, you ask? Miracles. To cut to the chase, the modern mind has difficulty with a God becoming flesh through a virgin conception and birth before re-entering heaven through a resurrection from the dead and ascension. And might I add, a bodily resurrection. So you find, therefore, that it's not so much the historicity of the Bible itself that's an issue as much as it is its content. 
It's okay for lives of the Caesars to be politically motivated, but it's not okay for the Bible to be motivated by matters of one's spiritual well-being and the moral well-being of people. But I'll touch on that more towards the end of the podcast. Each generation of skeptical scholars seeks to silence the message of the Bible without success. The basic question that confronts them continually is, why can the message of the Bible be so powerful when its foundations are completely false? Developing from this, some questioning scholars have tried to keep the meaning of the Bible by reinterpreting its events in more modern ways, a subject I won't be tempted into today, though it's absolutely rampant in our society. The assumption that our generation knows better, is replete with problems. Advances in technology, science, social sciences, medicine, and others are used to support that idea, but many within these scientific fields continue to have faith in the literal message of the Bible. We should raise some concerns about a simplistic assumption that moderns know better. One E.D. Hirsch Jr. does just that. He's an American educator and literary critic. He speaks to the issue warning of three relativistic fallacies which I think adequately address our contemporary society's presumptuousness. The first fallacy he talks of is the fallacy of the inscrutable past. He basically warned about assuming only a few people can actually sympathize with the past and therefore really know it. Accepting this fallacy undermines all historical investigation, and few, if any, actually want to go there. Because, dear listener, imagine this, a century from now, things we know to be objectively true suddenly being unintelligible to the next generation. It defeats the purpose of standing on the shoulders of past giants, to allude to Isaac Newton's famous quote. Would literally have to reinvent the wheel, both literally and metaphorically, in every generation. It's simply an untenable position. The second is the fallacy of the homogeneous past. This assumes that all who lived in a certain age shared a common perspective imposed by culture and worldview. This is also a very problematic position even using biblical illustrations themselves. For example, first century people were idolatrous. The Apostle Paul was a first century person. The Apostle Paul was idolatrous. This is following that logic of a homogeneous past. And this is obviously incorrect, because the Apostle Paul, both pre-Christian and as a Christian, was never idolatrous. I mentioned earlier The true problem comes with the Bible's descriptions of miracles and Jesus' life. Naively, some people today think everybody back then could believe in a resurrection. But that hardly fits even the Bible's description of reactions to it. Jewish people thought it was blasphemy. Gentiles thought it was ridiculous. As for Romans, Pilate literally asked what truth even was. What more miracles? These events were radically countercultural. There was nothing familiar about them, and hence they are appropriately being called miracles. And when you really think about it, in light of the explanation of the gospel, the God man, Jesus, 
had to come in a unique and special way if truly he was set apart from me and you. Their purpose is to verify that God accomplishes his purposes in history. Lastly, and by no means least, is the fallacy of the homogenous present-day perspective, right? That's to say that we all have a similar view in today's society. But today there are a wide variety of perspectives within any culture and across cultures. The millions of devout Christians indicate that not all modern people have difficulty accepting the historical descriptions of the past. Many are professors of various disciplines from botany to mathematics, and so we cannot say it is a lack of intellectual training that makes them believe. I hope, therefore, that these three fallacies by E.D. Hirsch Jr. would be beneficial as you think more about some of these arguments or these proposals of why it is that we can't understand the Bible in contemporary society, and that you may see the logical inconsistencies in some of these arguments. At the beginning, I mentioned that at the heart of today's matter was hermeneutics. And I'll end by saying the reason why the clear interpretation of the Bible is often rejected is the matter of the heart. Human behavior has always been the same. People are selfish, prone to rebellion against God, and set on constructing their worlds in their own images. Just yesterday, I was watching a documentary on Auschwitz, detailing the experiences of inmates in the Nazi camps, and it is truly incomprehensible how wicked the human heart is capable of being. There is 2,000-year-old evidence of this reality. If we go into the book of Romans, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. That's extracted from Romans 1 verses 18 to 23. Now when you're linking all of this to episode 1, If truly God could and would speak to us, surely God inspired his authors to write in such a way that we not only can, but do understand what the Bible says. I'm reminded of a quote by G.K. Chesterton, a great British writer who wrote What's Wrong with the World. And he says, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. In conclusion, therefore, can we understand the Bible? Of course we can. We just don't like the consequences of it, so decide to feign ignorance. I hope you may be challenged to take the Bible seriously, fully aware that it was written not only for one culture or any one culture, but for all cultures, 
all peoples, across all generations. If ever there was a book that permeates through different societies and through different times, it is the Bible. And that's why it remains the number one bestseller of all time, even today. Well, folks, that brings today's episode to an end. Thank you for tuning in. We're close to wrapping up the intro series of the Bible and whether the Bible can be trusted. And in episode four, we'll be taking a closer look into whether the Bible has been corrupted since its original writing. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're streaming your pods from and make sure you don't miss out. I promise it won't be a six month wait this time around, but maybe just a fortnight. And if you found it a useful podcast, please do invite others to think faithfully by sharing the podcast and rating it and reviewing it as well, as that helps it appear closer to the top whenever people search for it. As usual, should you have any feedback, a question or any comment, feel free to reach out to me via email at thinkingfaithfully at gmail.com. That's thinkingfaithfully at gmail.com. And I'll do my best to get back to you, remembering, of course, that I'm just a layman on a journey to learn, unlearn, and relearn. Till next time, keep well, stay safe, and God bless.